Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We are... What are we doing? Totally mystified about why we're here. No, I know why we're here. And everybody else knows why we're here. <laughs> we're just figuring out we're, investing. We're learning Buffett and Munger style, long-term, values-based investing. Yep. And and basically, you guys, this is, this is how um, people who invest like I do, this is how they run a fund. This is how I run a fund or multiple funds. This is a way to, and and the reason that I'm saying that is because there's very few fund managers that are able to do this kind of investing. This style of investing is limited to individual investors pretty much. I would say 99.9% of the actual number of people who do this are just private investors managing their own money. And the reason for that is because investors that are managing other people's money and are are successful at it, inevitably end up with investors who are watching them on a literally a month-to-month basis against an index of some sort, typically the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And if that fund manager is not keeping up with the index and his peer group, then they will change their money to a different fund manager. And this is just an absolute fact of the way the market works. As a result, when you put your money with a fund manager, you're putting it with someone who's making an attempt to do what has turned out to be virtually impossible. And that is to be invested all the time, all every day, fully invested, and beat the market. Why Those, is this top of mind right now? Because the the... I don't know. It just is. Huh, it's, okay. it's what popped into my head right now because I want to make sure that everybody understands the difference between what we're teaching them and what goes on in the world um, of, of Wall Street money management. So this is, this is quite different. This is basically saying, as you guys know from being hopefully on this thing for years, that this requires patience. And I guess I'm saying that right now, Danielle, because patience is really getting short. I mean, hmm. this has been such a grind. What is to, this? To, to be investing money in this market and have almost nothing we can buy hmm. that isn't a high bar to jump over, hmm. that isn't difficult to, to figure out. And, and the, at the end of the day, difficult to figure out, for me, correlates with danger, mm-hmm. risk. And mm-hmm. I hate taking risk with my money or anybody else's. I really want to buy things the way I would comfortably buy a piece of real estate here around where I live. I feel very comfortable this market is going to be a much, much better market in 10 years or 20 years. People are moving in this direction. And it's a no-brainer to buy a piece of real estate if you can buy it at the right price. 
Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean I can buy it at the right price right now. I actually can't. Everything is vastly overpriced. But but you know, know what the right I price is. Right. And you know that you understand it well enough to be reasonably confident of that right. prediction and in and real that estate price. terms, since there's no obvious houses to buy, everything's been priced up into the moon, then, you know, if we were to, to sort of parallel what's going on in the stock market, then what I would be trying to do would be maybe do a commercial building where maybe I would develop a piece of land where I'm taking a lot more risk. I'm moving into an area I'm not an expert at, and but the grass looks greener over there, right? Hmm. So, so by way of, it's kind of like a, a metaphor for, okay, maybe I'll put some money in Bitcoin. Maybe I'll jump in with the meme stocks and see how I do on GameStop and AMC and Cameco. So, you know, it's just, man, right now, patience is, is, at, is at a limit uh, for many, many people who are trying to be rational investors in a market that has given up rationality uh, in favor of the Federal Reserve artificially driving the market forward with low interest rates and buying back a tremendous amount of bonds, which effectively putting, they're putting two to $3 trillion of new money in the stock market every year hmm. of printed money, new money, hasn't been in the market before. And that impact is just unprecedented and we don't know when it's going to stop. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess, why I'm mm-hmm. talking about this. It's, it's, it's very so interesting critical. that that's top of your mind because it just, to me, like really, it shows the, it puts in sharp relief the differing positions that we're in because you are obviously talking to investors, have investors, um, dealing with that kind of day-to-day stuff. And I'm not at all because I don't have any investors. I just have my own money. And I don't read basically any of the day-to-day news about the market. I used to sometimes before I got COVID, but now I just don't read any of it. And so I, <laughs> I, like, I literally have not thought about a single thing that you said in months. It's so good. Isn't that wild, though? How different that is for so us. So good. Well, yeah. I mean, Warren, like the Warren meme Buffett. stocks. I just really enjoyed that ride and <laughs> haven't thought about it since. Um, people well, feeling the, pressure. Point, I don't. I don't think about that. On this point, the pressure, of course, comes from uh, what's going on in our own heads, and we can certainly put pressure on ourselves as individual investors. I'm so glad you are not doing that which is spectacular um but as a as a fund manager the you really have the feeling of this institutional imperative to be brilliant and Mm -hmm. and be brilliant right now every day you know and that being brilliant is shown by taking actions yeah by taking action and being as good or better than your peer group and the market Mm -hmm. all the time and this Mm -hmm. pressure is is what Warren calls the institutional imperative, right? And, and what he describes it as is a batter standing in, in baseball, standing at the batter's box and having all of his investors behind him in the stands yelling, swing, you bum. Because mm-hmm. he's just standing there as pitch after pitch goes by. And from their perspective, some of those pitches look pretty hittable. So why is he waiting, right? 
And Warren describes it as the way Ted Williams figured out how to be the best hitter in the history of baseball. And he did it by looking at video or films back in Ted's day of pitches coming across the plate. And he realized that there was a limited number of unique places for a baseball to go within the strike zone, which is a rectangle from like roughly chest high to the knees and the width of the plate. Right. So he, he realized, and he drew a diagram. There's only so many baseballs that can fit in there. I forget how many there are, but there's a, there's a bunch, right? There may be 50 or something. Okay. And what Williams did is look at all the hits and misses that he had made as a batter. And he figured out when the, ball is in a certain spot in that rectangle, he can hit 600%. And when it's in a different spot, he can hit like 100%. Right? In other words, he would Wait, how would, can you hit 600%? Hit. Well, you get six hits for every 10 times the ball's in that position. 60%. Well, they call it 600. Oh, they do. Batting, batting 600. Oh, okay. And, you, and the ball's in a different position. He gets one hit out of 10. Okay. Instead of six. So he realized if he just focused on hitting the ball, like swinging only when the ball is in that spot, in other words, forcing himself to not take a swing. And of course, in real baseball, you only get three strikes. And, and Warren has pointed out that Williams had to swing at the ball if it was in the strike zone, if he was on his third strike. And so he couldn't make it perfect, but an investor can. And this is the idea of a fat pitch, waiting for a big fat pitch and swinging then. And Warren just reiterates that we don't have to swing. There's no called strikeouts in our game. I think the the other difference with the analogy is that in baseball, you've got another pitch coming. And you know you've got another pitch coming because that's how the game works. Mm-hmm. In investing, I think, and I think this is a lot of the frustration, it doesn't, there's no guarantee. And we start to feel like there won't be another pitch. Like we're just going to stand there. There won't and be stand another there. fat pitch. There's pitches okay. every day. There's thousands of them. All right. All of yeah, those another fat are repriced pitch. every day. But we're waiting for that fat pitch. And oh my gosh, it does feel a lot like that right now. Like there won't ever be another fat pitch in the market. It's always going to be terrible pitches, yeah. you know, and and you're just going to stand here forever. And then back to the problem as a fund manager is you've got people saying, swing you bum. And that's why I've been very careful about who who gets into my fund. I just want investors who are, very, very patient and very willing to, to uh, and and understand this investing strategy requires times when the market will be doing better than the fund, mm-hmm. because we are sitting in cash while the market's going up, right? So that that is, requires a special kind of investor, and thank God I've got them, and and we're we're doing you know, very, very, very well with, with all of the investors as far as as far as far anything I know. People are staying with the fund in spite of the fact that, I mean, last year we had a, a really good year, but, you know, this year, I don't know how it's going to go. We're, we're, we're sitting right now with an enormous part of, the, of our funds in cash. It's and, a big gamble. Uh, it's a big gamble. I guess you could call it that. I, I don't think it's a gamble. I think it's, it's what has to happen if you follow the rules of rule one, 
investing. And I, I feel very confident that that's true, perhaps because Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are sitting massively in cash. Huge, huge percentage of their assets are in cash right now. And so then the masters of this are doing what I'm doing and they're probably doing it for about the same reason. I can't, you know, I, I know what yeah. Warren says, but I can't, I can't guarantee it's the same reason. I mean, I think, yes, like you're right about that. I think the reason I sort of feel like it's a gamble, which maybe is an, in uh, maybe a feeling not backed up by fact, um, is that it feels like it's timing. It's based on timing. I've like, heard that before. People say, oh, you're trying to time the market. Yeah. No, we're not trying and to I, time it, the there market. And there are two ways to like kind of go to cash. And one is, okay, it seems like the market's really high, you know. And the thing is, we talk about that so much on this podcast that I think that that's unfortunate. Like, I wish we wouldn't talk about that so much because I don't think it really matters that much. But the other way is that the companies one owns have gotten to a point where you don't want to own them anymore for a various set of reasons. Yeah. And then, and then there's nothing better to buy with that money. So therefore the money sits in cash. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So it, it looks from the outside like, Oh, we're trying to time the market, mm -hmm. but we're not, we're being mm -hmm. forced into these positions by the structure of our investing strategies. And in the end, you know, it, I mean, unless the Federal Reserve is going to keep interest rates at where they are right now for the next 20 years, this market's overpriced. But I am starting to hear from really good you know, investors that this is now a permanent state, that the Federal Reserve is going to absolutely keep interest rates right where they it's are. It's not an years. unreasonable position. It's not crazy. Take. It's not crazy. No, it's not crazy. It's unprecedented. It is rife with the potential for a complete economic catastrophe worldwide. But to a certain degree, they've been painted into a corner where the option, the option isn't really there, mm. right? To start raising interest rates would mean that same kind of economic catastrophe might start it all by itself. So it's entirely possible that we are in an unprecedented time right now and that this investing strategy is going to do less well than the market. Um, but it is what it is, frankly. I'm not going to change this thing after 40 years of investing like this. Uh-uh. I, I don't have a crystal ball that says what tomorrow's going to be. And all I know is, and this will, I think, take us to today's subject on the checklist, <laughs> is that I have, I invest when there's fear about the future of this business that I want to put my money into. And if there's no fear, if this price hasn't dropped, mm. then I am constrained to, mm. to just sit here. I cannot, I cannot in good conscience just suddenly start taking risks that I am now guessing where this is going to be in the future. The, the, what keeps me from guessing is that I buy fear. I mean, Warren once once said, somebody said, what is the secret to, in, to investing and making, you know, you've been making 24% a year for 40 years. What's the secret to investing? And he said, oh, shh, shut the door. You want to buy when there's fear and sell when there's greed. That's it. That's it. So today let's talk about the checklist that does address 
when to buy. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I'm just like mulling over what you said about how if there's no fear in a around a particular company or a particular industry that you just sort of have to wait. And it's, well, I don't know. It's put it like this. If I mean, we've said that over and over, other, but no, listen, listen, listen to, to say it like that is just, I hello, don't know. It struck me hello, as a little bit different. Hello, 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 hello. If you think you're smarter than the rest of the market, then have at it when a company is at its high and you see that it's undervalued and the market is, is just missing it and all these fund managers are stupid and are missing it, go for it. I just don't think I'm smart enough to do it. You might be. I mean, you're smarter than me, but I'm, I'm not smart enough to do that. I have to have the assurance of a very specific kind of fear. Yeah, I don't think it's about smarts or not smarts. I really, really oh, well, don't. You're buying stocks at the top and you think they're on sale? <laughs> you better have some smarts. Well, need to have <laughs> some knowledge. Because the rest of the market is going, that. no, it's not. <laughs> you need to know something other people don't, right? Which I guess. Yeah, you need to know something other people don't. <laughs> All million of them. Tends to not necessarily correlate with smarts, shall we yeah, say? In my experience, you're going to be humbled. <laughs> in my experience, the people who think those kinds of things tend not to be the smartest. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So let's go on to um, okay. this major checklist. Yeah, okay. Let today. me give the little intro on the checklist for anybody who's new and going like, what the heck these guys said? We're supposed to know what this podcast is about and then talked for 15 minutes about what this podcast is about. So guys, that's what our podcast is about. We just talk about amazing investing stuff. So this checklist we have talked about um, on a number of different episodes. They are not in order. But you can start back last year. So scroll back in the episodes and you'll see checklist. And that's where it starts. And then we took a hiatus. And now we're back on the checklist. We've done a few episodes in the last few months about this checklist. So we're not going to repeat it. Go listen to the episodes. Dad, where are we today in your investing checklist? Well, the checklist is structured around a clever little acronym, R-U-L-E-S. And we are on the E. So we've already done R-U-L. Radar. Oh, so the whole L was the, the love. Love. And now we're on E, which is event. Now, this is the key, honey. I, I, on my checklist, I've written, insist on one. Ooh, I like. <laughs> is that a checkmark item or is that just it's general reminder? It's a, it says event dash, insist on one. All right. So I, I love must that. have one. And um and so there's only six items on here. And I'm ready when you are. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. All right. The first one is I know the event. I know I the event. I know the event. Right on. Why is that on a checklist? Well, because a stock will drop, let's say, as a result of some kind of fear in the market. Mm-hmm. Right, a stock will about that stock and it'll drop. And let's say it's dropped 30 or 40 percent, then I have to know why. What is scary? Oh, I see. Yes, because that totally people. happens where something will drop 
and I'll be watching it and I'll go, I have no idea what just happened. Right. Right. Smart. <laughs> it makes out no there sense. And then it turns out that a butterfly flapped its wings in Africa and ended up affecting, you know, the price of XYZ in Denmark and yeah. that changed and the stock price three days three days later. And I didn't know about the butterfly. Right. And and that may be an event that was a little too subtle. So let's go on down about the kinds of events. So I know the event. Now, an event, by the way, is something that's creating fear and causing the stock price to go down. So there's something going on out there. And is rectifiable within a few years, right? We'll, that'll we'll be right on oh, the checklist we'll here. we'll get to that. So okay. the second thing is the event was easy to find. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The event was easy to find. Unlike your butterfly flapping. Why? I'm super intrigued. Why do you because care about that? I don't want this. I want this to be jumping over a six inch bar, not leaping over a four foot bar. Why is a hard to find event a four foot bar if it's getting to the point where it's affecting a stock price? Because it's hard to find. That makes it very subtle. It's not... Obviously, in the news, apparently people don't really know why they're getting out of this stock. They're just getting uh, out of this stock. Maybe they're just getting out because everybody else is Because it's out. going down, so get out. So, well, let's get out. Not easy to figure out what's going on there. Uh, I've Somebody never very, had very one of those. Somebody smart with the inside track on a company might have really good reason to get out because they know this company's in deep trouble. And then other people are watching this big investor exit. Yeah. And they exit. They don't know why. They're just getting out on momentum, which is how the market works. So easy to find is real important. It has to be right there. Like the a, a really fun one that that we did very well with was this cotton T-shirt company that um, stock price dropped in half because the CEO came out and said they may not harvest cotton in Egypt this year because of revolution going on, Islamic revolution. And if that, and stock and the cotton prices are moving up very aggressively. If this keeps going, we're going to lose money this year. That was Gildan. That was Gildan. Yeah. Great Canadian company. And man, people bailed out the moment he started talking about that. So it was right there. If you're paying any attention. So that counted in the easy to find box. That's easy to find. He's telling you. He's why. telling us. There's fear. He's like, hey, be afraid. If if you're a one year investor, you you don't want this stock. Is what the subtext was, right? And then what? Of course, what he was saying is it won't last that long, because other cotton producers next year will produce a lot of cotton, and the prices will come back, and we're expecting that. But you know, down the road, we'll be all right. So. Easy to find. The CEO is talking about the event. That is often the case. He's Usually probably trying case. to keep people in the stock. Saying, oh, sure. He's trying to settle yeah. it all down. Yeah. Right? Chipotle well, Mexican Grill, the CEO talking about E. coli. Yeah. Right? That kind of stuff. 
Um, I have not had a real life situation where I did not know what was going on. Has that happened to you where you've either where you've been watching going down? Yeah. Either where you've been watching a stock or where you actually owned the stock and you didn't know what was happening. No, no, it hasn't happened on, on companies. I already knew substantially knew about this. The, the ones that are going to get you are companies where you, you think you really have an idea that this would be a good company to own, but you're not deep enough in it yet, right? And then the stock price goes down, and then you scramble to try to figure out why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Typically, if you already have owned the stock or you own it now, you, you're going to know why because you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Interesting. So here's, here's another one. Boeing, Boeing was obviously easy to find, right? I mean, front page news, two aircraft go down, crash, kill a lot of people. Uh, the the feds wanted to take a look at it. They shut down production. Obviously, very easy to find. Mm-hmm. So Boeing goes down. Mm-hmm. Then comes COVID. Mm-hmm. And all the airlines shut down. Boeing goes down some more. Mm-hmm. Right. So Boeing, over a course of a year and a half of these two major problems, goes from 400 to 100. Okay. So it goes down 75%. Mm-hmm. Very, very easy to find. All right. Oh, that was an so easy to find. Okay, got it. It's easy to find. <laughs> All right, we'll come back to that. All right, the news, three. basically. Yeah, it's front page usually. Okay. Right. The event will take at least one year to resolve. At least a year. So the now event? we're into Wait, wait, say that one more, t- one more time because you said it. All right, this event will take at least one year to resolve. Will take at least one year. It's going to take them a year resolve. to fix it. At least a year to fix it. So a year before cotton prices return, a year before the the uh, feds approve the Boeing seven thirty seven, right? But so why just, why do you care if it takes a year? Because if it's shorter than that, the fund managers are not going to exit aggressively. It won't keep going down. Probably there'll be this brief shock, and then it's going to shoot back up again. Very unlikely that it'll reach its margin of safety. So this then is just about getting to your price. Right. Okay. Well, first it's about getting, yeah, this one is about getting to the price. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. If if it's less than a year, the fund managers are going to see through it. They're not going to run away. Yeah. Like I flashed back to, um, to when the market was crashing last year in March, um, due to the pandemic. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, but wait, that one, a lot of people thought would take less than a year to resolve across the board. But the truth is we didn't, I don't know if we actually thought that. I think in those like five, five days, two weeks. I thought here it comes. This is going off the cliff now. Yeah. And I think that's why it was dropping so precipitously. And then the moment or let's say the day after um, government started to announce public support for businesses and public support right. for markets, everybody went, oh, okay, maybe we will be able to get through this in less than a year. Right. And I think, I mean, I certainly thought that the sickness itself, the, the, the virus would be over within a year. And oh, I think all of us. I think we all thought that. Right. So I'm just wondering, like, if that situation with those companies being really the entire market, 
if that would have met this test. It will take at least a year to resolve. I I absolutely thought so, and we yeah, jumped you in did. on it. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's go to the next one, okay. which is the opposite of this. Number four, the event will take no more than three years to resolve. The event will take no more than three years. So we're getting quite specific here from 40 years of experience. We want this event to be of a certain nature. It's going to be long enough that these guys bail out because they are on a much shorter leash than I am in terms of their investors being willing to stick with them. If everybody's gotten out of this stock and they don't get out of it, they're going to have trouble keeping their keeping a hold of their investors. So that says a certain kind of event has to be long enough. Now, this one's take no more than three years to resolve. The event has to be long enough, but not terminal, mm-hmm. not an uncertainty level. So when you're looking out into the future, three years is plenty far. You, you should be able to see clearly that they'll get through all of this stuff in less than three years. So E. coli, they're going to figure it out and in the problem will resolve in, over, in under three years. Cotton, under three years. Boeing, under three years. Now, the Boeing one turned out to not be the case. Boeing has had yet another set of problems just come into the news. Oh. Which, I don't follow Boeing just, at all. Well, we have really given up on it. That is, we we bought it so cheap. So let me just get this straight. There was something that happened a while ago. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, the pandemic, two, two, I think. One, two years Oh, no, ago. crashes. That was the first thing. Yeah, yeah. And you thought, okay, that's some, a lot of airlines have been this through that. It'll get resolved. They'll fix the safety situation. They'll right. get back on selling airplanes. Right. Then the pandemic hit on top of that. And you thought, okay, another rectifiable situation. It's going to be tough, but they're going to get through it. And you thought that was still under three years with buying, selling new airplanes to airlines. Yeah, we thought from that point in the pandemic, which reset the clock for us, Mm -hmm. and and we can buy Boeing at 100. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we gave it three years to resolve itself, right? The COVID problems, the airlines coming back. Fair enough. And they're, they're coming back really well right now. It's been less than three years. And right. now there's something else Boeing's, going on. Boeing's processes were so screwed up by the last um, CEO. This is one of those examples. It's become one of those examples where, you know, you want a company that is so such a big moat that it, even an idiot can run it because someday an idiot will. And that has been the case now with Boeing. There's just so many... So many nasty things crawling out of the closet, one after the other. They just can't seem to get out of their own way. So we finally had to reset. We've, we've taken a look at the amount of debt that they've taken on and just went, okay, that, that's just too deadly. $60 billion of debt, and they're not redeeming the debt fast enough. And it's just, you know, they're just still kind of staggered, in spite of the fact they have almost a monopoly. Um, but thing, and, and I think honestly, if you wanted to take a flyer on a company, this would be a good one to take a risk on, but we don't like risk capital. We made a lot of money on the company already. So we we've started taking our money out of there. And, um, and so three years to resolve has turned into a question mark. Hmm. We don't know when they're going to get themselves straightened out. 
And then they will someday. Last question, and then we'll stop and we can continue with the checklist next time. Um, what does resolve mean? Is resolve stock price oriented? Is resolve company choices oriented? They've set up a situation wherein they will soon, hopefully, do better and make more money? Or is it like, this is done, it's in the past, we're doing amazing in every possible way? It's, it's the, uh, the event itself is no longer creating uncertainty in the market about the future of the company. Hmm. Now, how fast the market responds to that can vary, um, just depending on what's going on in the market, right? Could be a bear market, could be a bull market, whatever. But the event that put the stock on sale has now been resolved to the satisfaction of the market. Of the market. Everybody knows that, the, that it's over. That the well that BP had a problem with in the Gulf has been fixed and the penalties have been mm-hmm. clarified and it's clear the company's not going bankrupt. And mm-hmm. right, all, right? Boeing's just keep dribbling it out. So we don't like that. The uncertainty remains about what's the future value of this company if they keep up this stuff. And we just don't know because we don't know the future value. We can't figure Mm. out what it should be worth today. Mm. So we're out. So um, I'm writing down resolve resolve is stop creating uncertainty. Yeah. The uncertainty is resolved. The, The cotton prices have gone back to 85 cents. The, um, the E. coli is clearly over and so is the norovirus stuff that's happened over and over, right? So each of these is something that is and But fear. I mean, that's a great example because and they completely changed their safety and cleanliness standards and processes with the food and in the stores. And right. they brought on a new, incredibly experienced CEO to grow yep. the company out of that. Like there were a lot of, with Chipotle, there were a lot of components to that recovery. That's right. And boy, this is, this is where you see so many of these elements coming together. So this is a company, you guys, that we bought it about $280 a share. It was as low as $250 a share. I'd owned it before. You can read about it in rule number one. But this time around, bought it at, at $280. It had been at $760. And the stock is currently almost at $2,000. And so this is, this is all because of what's happened since they had this E. coli stuff, um, none of which we could have predicted accurately and, and didn't. What we did predict accurately is, number one, they have a huge moat in a very niche marketplace with no competition directly. And number two, they have no debt. And th- that combination of big moat, no debt, mm-hmm. means no bankruptcy. It means someday <laughs> they figure this out. <laughs> and that's what gives us the confidence to be in there. It's just like buying a house in your neighborhood. You know, it's a good neighborhood, so it's got a big moat, location, location, location. And yeah, you know, rents are flat right now, but you know, it's a long road and it'll, it's a good neighborhood and it'll go up in the future. Hmm. So that's how we look at it. That, that three years to resolve. Okay. And if you'll think about that for one second, just to wrap up here is that typically we are looking for, or not typically, we're constantly looking for a company to go down by about 50% from its value. Let's just say the market's accurately value in the business. Um, 
when it has this event happen, it, we're expecting it to drop about 50%. That often is how far it'll go down, just sort of emotionally, people bail. And now you've got a $10 bill available for $5. And when we buy it and it goes back to being a $10 bill when the problem is resolved, we just doubled our money. And the three years happens to create a 26% compounded return if this happens in a three-year period. And that's why Dinesh Pabrai has 26% compounded on his license plate. I feel sure you've told me that before, but I completely forgot it. So essentially, if we can buy a $10 bill for $5 and three years later it's back to 10, when you've doubled your money from five to 10 in three years, you've just made a 26% return. And that is our target investment return. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Adorable. Isn't it amazing how this all fits together? (laughs) I know. Warren Buffett's a genius. That is absolutely No kidding. No kidding. Yep. Yep. All right. Totally great. More checklist soon. Yep. (laughs) A little more on event before we're done, but uh, we'll wrap it up next time. Thanks, everybody. Time to go play. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really hope you enjoyed it.